So this week we start our journey through Isaiah. Now this isn't going to be a comprehensive journey. I've seen sermon series where you spend the whole year in Isaiah where we're not going to be doing that. But, but we are going to be taking a look at how God used Isaiah to speak into the hearts of the people, into the hearts of His, God's people. It is my prayer that we would be admonished and also encouraged as we see God's promises here in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied during a pretty turbulent time for Israel. God's people had walked away from his truths. They were following other gods. They were pursuing idols. They were following, or they had left the worship of Yahweh. And and into this, Isaiah proclaimed judgment. He told of the kingdom of Assyria that would soon be swooping down and, and conquering Judah. But he also proclaims hope. He also tells of the promises of God, the promises of provision and protection. As we work our way through our text this morning and through the rest of this series in Isaiah, I pray that we would be convicted by the judgments, but that we would also be uplifted and comforted by the promise of provision. Let us read the word of the Lord this morning from Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. See now, the Lord the Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food and all supplies of water. The hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder. The captain of fifty and the men of rank. The counselor, skilled craftsman and clever enchanter. I will make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old and nobody, or the nobody against the honored. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of of their deeds. Woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Youths oppress my people. Women rule over them. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I know for me, when I first read this passage, I thought, man, how, how relevant this is for where we find ourselves as a society today. Isaiah prophesies about Israel falling apart. We read, I will make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. When we look at our political landscape, the the divide, the inability for either side to be able to work together, the animosity that rests on both sides, the extremes to which each side goes to in order to disparage or, or attack the other. How can we not see the similarities? 
Truth is ignored for opinion, and depending on the echo chamber, we have chosen to consume the, the false facts that we are being fed to us as soon as they are plated and set before our seat at the table. We have a severe lack of maturity in the leadership of our country right now. Power is the prize. Gaining it and keeping it is the goal. And who lets truth get in the way of a good story, right? Why would I try to understand nuance when extremes are just so much more comfortable since they justify my preconceived notions and the message of my chosen echo chamber, my chosen allegiance? And we don't have to go very far to have our agendas confirmed. There are videos all over the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and many other social media apps that will support whatever opinion you may hold. Videos can be downloaded easily, and a lot of editing software is free. So all it takes is a person with an agenda to take a video, edit it to their liking, upload the video, it gets picked up, goes viral, and now you've controlled a narrative, no matter how false the narrative may be. Context is dead. Sound bites rule the day. We see the obvious political, uh, political allegiances battling against each other in our society today. But there's also neighbor against neighbor, isn't there? People will oppress each other, we read in our text this morning. Man against man, neighbor against neighbor. We don't have, we don't, uh, you don't have to have the television on or be browsing your social media for very long before the continued divide between people is readily apparent. This Thursday was the first NFL game of the season. After the national anthem was sung and right before the game was about to start, the two teams, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, all joined arms in the middle of the field for 30 seconds in a display of unity. And as they stood there, coaches and players from these two teams linking arms, boos rained down from the stands. Maybe the crowd didn't know or understand what was happening. Maybe communication had been poor. You'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt. That's something you kind of want to do. But, but as I sat there and heard the booze at the display of unity, I couldn't help but be struck by how this was a microcosm of our society today. Booing unity. So we've got the political divide, the personal divide, and then there's also the generational allegiances battling against each other, right? Our text reads, The young will rise up against the old, the nobody against the honored. Now, I'm not a boomer, but I've been called a boomer plenty of times, especially when I've been unable to keep up with the constantly changing lingo of the generations coming up behind me. I'm not really a millennial, but I've been called a millennial many times, especially when I have challenged a traditional concept or thought process. Our generations are, are angry at each other. The younger think that the older are privileged, haughty, and old school in a negative sense. The older think that the younger are privileged, lazy, and naive. Again, we, we, are large, we largely leave nuance at the door and we wage our generational wars through discussions around the dinner, dinner table, at the coffee shop, in universities, at the workplace, and from behind computer screens. How discouraging it is to look around and see the anger and the division. How commitment to allegiances overrides our common sense, overrides the care and empathy that we have for each other and that we're supposed to have for our neighbor. Why? Why is it like this? How? How did we get here? 
The last phrase in our text this morning gives us some insight into these questions. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. So who are you following? Who are our guides? And now that we have comfortably found the problem, it's our leadership, right? They're the ones that have failed us. But then again, we knew this anyway, for our echo chambers have been harassing us with this information for decades now. And we feel like we can go along our merry way because really, how are we going to affect leadership? We vote, don't we? Isn't that enough? Isn't that about what we can do? Well, brace yourself for the realization that Isaiah is not prophesying about America or whichever country you may currently live in. In the opening verses of our text this morning, Isaiah says, See now, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water. Judah, God's chosen people. Jerusalem, God's chosen kingdom. Isaiah is not prophesying about a secular nation. He's prophesying about God's people. God is taking all support and supply away from his people. The Lord is taking away everything that stabilizes the corporate life of Isaiah's generation. He's talking directly about the Assyrian invasion. When the nation of Assyria will finally successfully invade Judah and the vast majority of the people left alive after the invasion will be taken into exile in a foreign and hostile land. Judah has lost its direction. It has followed poor leadership. It has sought after other gods. It has become divided and hard times are coming. And while this is a prophecy directly for the people of Judah way back in Isaiah's day, it doesn't take more than a cursory glance to recognize that the church today is failing in many of the same ways that Judah was failing back in the time of Isaiah. The church today is incredibly political and incredibly divided along political lines. We have leadership telling us if we don't vote red, we celebrate the killing of babies and we can't consider ourselves Christians. We have other leadership telling us that if we don't vote blue, we are racists and can't consider ourselves Christians. Pastors are being mentally and emotionally torn apart trying to navigate how to handle reopening in the midst of a pandemic, largely because of the politically charged opinions of people on either side of the argument. We've become so entwined with political allegiances and ideologies that they have affected doctrine and how we understand scripture. For some churches, is this thing still on? Are we good? Just died out? Test one, two? Okay, we're still coming through. I'll just talk louder. We become so entwined with political allegiances and ideologies that they have affected doctrine and how we understand scripture. For some churches and and church leaders, political agenda influences scripture, but to put it another way, societal views shape their understanding of scripture. And, And so doctrines are introduced that directly contradict the word of God. And it is justified by saying that the Bible needed to be brought up to date. And so the authors were just a bunch of misogynistic bigots anyway. No, scripture is not shaped by society. Instead, Scripture is to inform, guide, and shape our societal views. For Scripture is not some flavor of the week agenda put forth by a pseudoscience. It is the Holy Word of God. 
And it is completely unyielding to any bending or improvements or manipulating that we in our sinfulness may try to do. And you don't have to have been in church very long to know that there are disagreements between the younger and older generations on how things should be done, on how things should be run. One generation values tradition and the other overvalues tradition and the other undervalues it. And so divides spring up and you see churches splitting over the style of worship or the color of the carpet. Was this Jesus' hope for the church when he established it? Petty infighting and the distraction of allegiances that are formed outside of the church but have brought their dirty laundry to the pews in God's house. What happened? How did this come about? Again, we go to the statement God makes through the prophet Isaiah and ask the question, who is leading you? Is the fractured church letting God do the leading? Or are they tugging at the reins? Are they letting political agenda, societal influence, and reverence or lack of reverence for tradition be held in higher regard than the mission that we have been given by God and the true gospel of Jesus? Than the leadership of Jesus Christ. And man, how easy it is to sit on our own high horse and look at how the world around us has been led astray by poor leadership and how the church has been fractured by poor leadership and think, man, at least I have it all together. (laughs) But do we? Do we? We are each citizens of a country and none of us have perfectly addressed the issues of our country. And each of us have intentionally or unintentionally contributed to the failings of our country. Many of us are members of a church and each of us through our actions or our inactions have contributed to the fracturing of our churches. But what's more is as we look at how the nation we live in and the church as a whole have followed, been swayed by and pursued poor leadership and direction, we know that we also have followed false guides, that we too have turned from the path. We have formed allegiances that hurt the heart of the Lord our God. We have followed the immature voice of the child in our hearts instead of the voice of our Father in heaven. We see this in the sin in our lives that we continue to commit, even though it brings us shame, and even though we try to stop it, and no matter how hard we have tried to hide it. We have oppressed our neighbor through words or actions so that we might feel better about ourselves and our abilities. This is done in a variety of ways, from spreading gossip to being intentionally cutting with our words, to lying, to ignoring the pain we know they are going through, to you name it. God knows the ways that we have oppressed our neighbor. And he knows the ways that we have focused on ourselves and our own desires, focused on the idols of this temporal world and put them over the mission of God and over the life that he wants us to live. We may not be Judah and Jerusalem of Isaiah's generation, but the word of God proclaimed to them oh so long ago still cuts to the heart of sinful man today, doesn't it? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with recognizing that just as the world around us is messed up and just as the church is imperfect and fractured, so we too are imperfect and have followed 
false leadership. As we wrestle with that, we, we face the question, where do we go from here? Well, where does our text go? All of Isaiah 3 is the proclamation of judgment on Jerusalem and Judah. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, which Dolores read for us this morning, and I'm going to read again right now. So this is what follows. This is, chapter 3 is, is where we find our text from the sermon this morning, and chapter 4 is where we find, in many ways, the answer to that text. Picking up in, in verse 2, it's just the four verses. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place for the storm and rain. Because of the outpouring of our sinful hearts, we deserve judgment. Like Jerusalem and Judah, we deserve judgment for we have listened to the false leadership of our hearts and the world around us. We have been seduced by sin. We have oppressed our neighbor. We have chased after the idols of this world. And so we, like Judah and Jerusalem, are unworthy followers of God. And yet, just as he did with Judah and Jerusalem, God extends his branch, the branch of the Lord, the mighty hand of God over his people. day for a ride. There's a lot of them. God has extended the mighty branch, extended the mighty branch of the Lord over his people. He has washed away the filth of his people. He has set up a shelter and a shade for them, a place of refuge, a hiding place. The branch of the Lord is the cross, the work of Jesus Christ. For Jesus took all of the judgment that we have rightfully earned through following the false leaders of the world and the false leaders of our hearts. He has taken all of the judgment for the fracturing of His body, the church. He has taken all of the judgment for the sin that we pursue in our personal lives and He paid for all of it, all of it on the cross. He paid for all of the wrong that you have ever done and all of the wrong that you will ever do. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and conquering sin and death so that through faith in him, through believing in his work, in his work, we might be reconciled to the Father. We might have relationship again with the living God that through faith in Jesus, we would be clothed with Jesus. And God would no longer see the sin of our lives, but those dirty, for those dirty rags were taken away. And now he sees simply the righteousness of Christ. This is God's provision for us. Jesus is the branch of the Lord that washes away our sin. Jesus is the Lord that purifies us through the spirit and fire. Jesus is the Lord, the refuge for our souls. Jesus is the Lord, the leader, the true leader, the leader who cannot possibly be false. Let us cling to the true leader. 
as He continues to work in our hearts and continues to sanctify us, continues to shape us into the people that He wants us to be. Let us rely in His strength to resist the false leadership of the world around us and the false leadership that still lives in our hearts. May the love of Jesus overflowing out of us enable us to distance ourselves from the political allegiances that we have formed and may enable us to instead speak into the politics of our day with a strong, clear, unified voice that upholds the worth of all people, born and unborn, and of all nationalities. May the Holy Spirit at work in us strengthen our allegiance to Christ as it weakens our allegiance to the political agendas of the day. May the love of Jesus overflowing out of us enable us to love our neighbor, to love those of a different generation. May God give us the eyes to see those around us, those we interact with, those that annoy us, those that are a struggle for us. May we see them through His eyes. May His love for them overflow. May His love for them overflow out of us. How thankful I am for a God that saves, a God that does not diminish a God in which we can take refuge, a God who forgives sin, a God who is continually shaping us into who He wants us to be, a God who continues to forgive us when we resist His shaping, a God who died in our place so that we could have the kind of relationship with Him that He longs to have with us, His creation. As you go this week, rest in the outstretched branch of the Lord. Rest in the refuge of the storm. Rest in the true leader. Rest in Jesus Christ. Amen.